morning. Happy Thanksgiving. So we're sitting around our, our dining table, our, our only table that we eat from, in our home, the five of us, and uh, during Thanksgiving, and we go around and we ask the question, okay, what are you thankful for this year? Uh, we got to me and I said, I am thankful for taste buds. God didn't have to give us taste buds. We need food to get our strength and our energy, but he didn't have to make it taste so good. That gets some of us in trouble. It gets me in trouble, right? But aren't you glad God gave us taste buds? So next time you you bite into that fried chicken or whatever it is you can't live without, man, thank God for taste buds. Just stand out, start shouting, screaming. Let everybody in the restaurant know that God gave you taste buds, all right? You know, just... Enjoy what God has given to you. And the second thing I said is I'm so grateful that our family continues to grow closer and closer together. Uh, Sometimes as kids get older and start, you know, moving out, maybe there's... Anyway, God just blessed us with a closeness that we love. Uh, We love one another. We honor. We respect one another. I'm so grateful that we're all serving Jesus. So uh, great Thanksgiving. I hope you had one as well. Um, before we jump into our series today, I want to remind you that next Sunday is a special Sunday in that we are receiving a special offering for all of our associate pastors. It's called our double honor offering. And every year we take up a special offering to, to demonstrate honor, respect, appreciation, uh, for those who, who govern the house, who, who, um, oversee the affairs of God's church very, very well. And uh, we have an incredible team that does that extremely well. Um, And people will tell me, man, Pastor, you know, God's doing some great things at the church. And and I agree. But I know this. uh, I have an amazing team that God has blessed us with. And so this is our opportunity next Sunday to double honor our pastors, uh, associate pastors. And we encourage you to to give double of what you would normally do in a, uh, a special offering. If you would do that, come prepared next week. Um, so we can honor them in a very, very practical way. And we believe that would bless God because his word tells us to honor. Okay, so today we jump into our series uh, that we began last week, The Good News According to Luke. And we learned last week that the good news is something happened in the past that was very good that affects our present and affects our future. And that good news is simply this. Jesus Christ came to this earth And he inaugurated his kingdom. He brought his kingdom to this earth. He brought his rule and his reign to planet earth. And Luke writes an accord or an account rather of what it looks like when God's rule and reign comes to earth. And so I'm really excited about this this gospel of Luke. And as I mentioned last week, um, Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke. And he's writing to a man named Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus was not Jewish. He didn't have synagogue background. He didn't know Torah, didn't know Old Testament scriptures. Uh, He knew something about the good news of Jesus, but he was uncertain about it. And he needed somebody to take him by the hand and disciple him in the good news. Just like many of you probably had a Luke in your life that discipled you in the good news of Jesus. And I would encourage you during this Thanksgiving season is go find your Luke and thank God for them. Somebody came up to me after service last week and and they said, hey, so-and-so came up to me and said, hey, thank you for being my Luke. Go find your Luke. Thank God for your Luke. All right. 
So Luke, he uh, was not an eyewitness of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. I did not see, did not hear with his own ears um, the teachings of Jesus. So how does he gather all this good news, this information? He looks at the Old Testament scriptures. He looked at oral tradition, uh, which was simply uh, the stories that were passed down. And he also talked to eyewitnesses, people who actually were there to, that, that heard Jesus, that saw Jesus, that were healed by Jesus, delivered by Jesus. And he interviews those people and he takes all of this and he writes an account of what it looks like when the kingdom of God kisses earth. I love it. Awesome. So. Um, there are two practices that we are going to uh, employ as we study through Luke. And those two practices are this freedom and discipline. Freedom, meaning we want the freedom, uh, give the Holy Spirit freedom to interrupt our plans and uh, have us maybe go in a different direction than we're going. Can you say, God, you have permission to interrupt our study in Luke and he will and he has. Uh, we've got Corey Russell coming in January. We've got Joseph Gordon coming next week. We need to hear from the prophets. We need to hear from the apostles. We know God is going to continue to interrupt the series. And that's and, that, and it's God's series, not ours. OK, so freedom. We're going to practice freedom, but we're also going to practice discipline. Uh, as you know, pastors love to preach what they love to preach. OK, and so the the discipline of discipline uh, is to, hey, let's let's preach through a book of the Bible. And that way we get the whole counsel of God. OK, so freedom and discipline is our, our two practices that we will use as we jump into Luke today. I want to talk to you about something very exciting, and that is this. I believe God is breaking the silence and he's breaking the shame. OK. We're going to talk about breaking the silence and breaking the shame with the good news of Jesus today. Our main text is in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse five. But before we jump to verse five, I want us to go back to the last book in the Old Testament, and it's called the book of Malachi. Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet, and he was the one that predicted there was another prophet to come who would prepare the way for Jesus. And so let's take a quick look at that in Malachi chapter three, verse number one. The prophet speaking for God says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So here Malachi is saying there is another messenger that's coming. I'm a messenger. I'm a prophet, but there's another messenger. There's another prophet who's coming and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And then in verse no, or, uh, Malachi chapter four, verse number five, God speaking through the prophet again says this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dead, dreadful day. The Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the parents or the fathers, depending on your translation, to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Again, again, so here's an Old Testament prophecy declaring that there's another messenger coming. There's another prophet coming. Uh, Malachi says it's the prophet Elijah who had died, right? So what's going to happen, right? Is Elijah going to come and going to come before Jesus to prepare the way? Yes, he is. But it's not literally Elijah, but it is one who is much like Elijah. And his name is John the Baptist. 
And Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 11 that the Elijah to come is John the Baptist. Okay, so following this prophecy in Malachi, then there is 400 years of silence. They're called the 400 silent years. No other book of the Bible is written. No prophet speaks. Heaven is silent for 400 years. I can't live without a word from God after four days. 400 years. The nation is, in, is not hearing from God. There's no prophet, right? There's 400 years between Malachi and Luke. And then God comes in and he breaks the silence and he breaks the shame. And the bad news is about to get swallowed up with some good news. Just to give you a little bit of an idea of what happened during those 400 years. There's so much history there. We're not going to. But some of some things went from bad to worse. The Roman uh, Empire is now ruling over the land of Israel, ruling over Judea. Um, Judea is uh, God's land, Palestine, God's land. It's governed now by Roman kings. Uh, they're governing politically. But the good news is, is that the Israelites, the Hebrew uh, people, they were allowed to um, to exercise their religious freedoms. They could still go to temple, worship, um, sacrifice, uh, feast, all of those things. So they had freedom to do that. However, the priesthood had become, for the most part, it had become corrupt. It had become uh, very traditional um, and uh, hypocritical. Okay. Um, you know, Jesus spoke to many of the religious leaders of the day and he said to them, he says, you honor me with your your lips. He said, but your heart is far from me. Right. And so that was the condition uh, at large of the um, religious leaders. They were no longer loving God with their all, all their heart, soul, mind and strength. They weren't loving him like that. They were arguing about the Sabbath and Sabbath day laws and and all of this. They were just so caught up in all that stuff. Um, they weren't loving God anymore, except for a small remnant of priests that still feared God and loved him. And one of those priests, his name was Zachariah and his wife was Elizabeth. We're going to read about in just a moment. Politically, things were not going very well. Again, Rome was uh, ruling. Uh, the Roman Empire was huge, included this this land of Judea. And uh, Herod was the king over Judea. He was the king of the Jews, if you will. Right. And of course, uh, at one point he questioned Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, as you say, um, in, in so many words, uh, we know who the true king of the Jews is. But Herod was set up as this puppet king. He was not um, the Caesar of the day. He was not Caesar Augustus. He was just a provincial king uh, over this particular land. Um, and uh, the temple that day was the the um, is actually the setting of the passage that we're going to go to. The temple of the Lord. Um, and let me give you a little bit on that is uh, Solomon's temple that he built was magnificent. It was incredible, but it was destroyed 586 B.C. And so here um, there's no temple. And Malachi just prophesied and said that when Jesus comes, he's going to come to his temple. So we have a problem. There's a there's no temple. How's Jesus going to come to the temple? Well, God raises up this pagan king named Herod the Great. And guess what Herod the Great does? He reveals the temple. 
It's called the Herodian Temple. And it's massive. It's 35 acres in size. It's incredible. He's known to be Herod the Great because of his magnificent buildings and structures that he builds. All right. And so God used, how many of you know, God can use people who don't know him to accomplish his purposes. And so Herod didn't even know it. He builds this incredible, this temple, uh, prepares the way for Jesus in so many ways, and then tries to kill him when he finds out that this king of the Jews is born. Interesting. Herod the Great, he was also a tyrant. He was power hungry. He was a puppet king. Uh, he was a control freak. He was a paranoid ruler. Um, he wanted to guard his position carefully and, and his position was threatened by his wife and by two of his sons. And so guess what he did? He had him executed. Uh, kind of the North Korea of the day. All right. So this guy is a tyrant. All right. And, um, and this is the context in which um, Luke is, is here and he's about to um, lay out this good news. Okay, 400 years of silence. Um, God's going to break the silence after 400 years and something really, really good is about to happen. And God opens his mouth and he begins to speak. Luke chapter one, verse five, it says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, we just learned a little bit about Herod. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So pause for a moment. Uh, they were described as righteous, blameless. That doesn't mean they were perfect. It doesn't mean they were sinless. It means they feared God. They loved God. Um, they did what was right in the eyes of God. Okay. But they also were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. So Zechariah is a priest and his name means Jehovah has remembered. So if your name is Zechariah or uh, Zach, uh, God has remembered you. Uh, it's a good name. Elizabeth means God is my oath. Um, they were both godly um, people who belonged to the priestly line. And um, they were also barren. Now, that means they were infertile. They were unable to have children. Um, back in, in those times, in Jewish customs, uh, they believed that if a person, if a couple was not able to have children... They were actually accursed of God. The favor of God was had been had been lifted from them, removed from them, and they were actually cursed of God. Something was wrong with them spiritually. They had sinned. They weren't lovers of God. Something was going on there and they they equated barrenness with sinfulness. Okay, and what's interesting is Luke makes it very clear that that was not the case. They were righteous, they were blameless, and they were barren. So what Luke is saying is they had a physical problem, not a spiritual problem. Okay? He's making that clear uh, in that context. They needed to know that. And scripture says in verse number 8, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So, pause for a moment. Uh, Zechariah was a priest of God. 
And uh, sometimes when we hear that word priest, we go, oh, wow, he must have been like an, an extraordinary guy to be considered to be a priest. No, not really. Uh, there were about 18,000 to 20,000 priests who were serving at that time. Uh, he was born into the priesthood. Uh, it's not like he, you know, got his Ph.D. in theology or something like that. No, he was born into the, the priesthood line, uh, became a priest. It was his job. It was his career. Here we go. You're just another one of 20,000 priests. Nothing special, just a common, ordinary person, just like you and I. So when you hear the word priest here, don't go, oh, man, you know, must have been some special dude. No, he was just one of the priests. And uh, there were 18,000 of them. And because there were so many priests in that day, those priests only got to serve in the temple two weeks out of every year. How many of you like a job like that? You know, most of us get two weeks vacation. You know, this guy, he had to just work for two weeks a year and the rest of the year was off. I was like, wow, that's a great job. You know, there were so many priests. And so um, twice a year, the priests would go to Jerusalem from wherever they lived. They traveled to Jerusalem. They would serve for a week. And during that week, what would happen is the priests would get together. They would cast lots to find out who got the big job. And what was the big job? The big job was you got to go into the holy place that day and burn incense Throw some incense on the hot coals and pray and then step out of the Holy of Holies and bless the people with the Aaronic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, etc. That was the big job. And every priest wanted that big job. And it happened twice a day in the morning, in the afternoon, every day. But the priest, as I said, there were so many, not everybody could do it. So they had to cast lots. And uh, it was kind of like, you know, casting lots for that big day. It was like the, the, the Super Bowl Sunday for a priest. You know, if you got chosen, it was like an honor. It was a once in a lifetime honor. If you had the opportunity to do it one time and not all of them did, then that was it. You would never serve in that way again. So everybody wanted that big deal. OK, so every every year, um, Zachariah would go to the temple hoping, man, this is hopefully this is my big time. You know, and he would do this year after year for 40, 50 years. He would go all the way to Jerusalem. They would roll the dice and he would come up as the loser. <laughs> loser, 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 loser. Always, just like you in gym class, you never get picked, right? You know, and you're like, when is this ever going to happen? I'm getting old. I'm never going to get picked. And finally, boom, one day he is picked. And he goes in and he does the big job. And he goes in and he sprinkles the incense, which was this costly uh, material that they would put on these hot coals and the smoke would go up before God. It was called the burning of incense. And it was symbolic of prayer. So when the smoke would go up to heaven, it was symbolic of our prayers going up to heaven. Isn't that beautiful? That doesn't work with your cigar. If you're a guy who smokes cigar, you know, it's not the same kind of incense. All right. You know, you, it's, you got to pray when you're doing it. Well, yeah. All right. Never mind. All right. So he goes in and he does his big thing and he puts the incense on and the smoke goes up. It's 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 a sweet aroma to God. And the Revel book of Revelation says that God gathers all the prayers of his people into this big bowl. Isn't that amazing? Every one of your prayers are going up to God like this fragrant incense. And he's he's somehow capturing all that incense and he's putting it in this bowl and he and he's remembering the bowls, the prayers of God's of his people. And he begins to pray. And Zachariah, we don't know exactly what he prayed, but he probably prayed 
um, for the deliverance of Israel. He probably prayed that Malachi, what Malachi prophesied would come true, that God would send a messenger who would introduce the Savior. He probably prayed for his wife and himself once again. I mean, this is his one-time big day, right, in that place. I get to pray in the presence of God. God, give us a son. And God breaks in, and here's his prayer. Verse number 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. Can I pause there for just a moment and, and tell you that it's possible to fear God without being afraid of him? It's possible to be in, uh, in awe of God, to respect God, to honor God, and not be afraid of him. Just like for your children, fathers, it is right for your kids to fear you, respect you, honor you, but not be afraid of you. So... Here we have a God-fearing man who's also now afraid of God. And uh, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Good news. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're going to call him John. So here God breaks 400 years of silence. Breaks the silence. He breaks the shame. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Some of you have been praying for a long time for something. What is it? What have you been praying for? Maybe it's a spouse to get saved. Maybe it's a child to return to the Lord. Maybe it's, it's to, to get married, right? To have children. Maybe God has spoken some things over your life and those things have not come to pass. And I, I'm here to encourage you today. Don't stop praying. Scripture says, always pray, never give up. Always pray, never give up. You say, well, I've been praying for years and God has, God, God's not answering. Yes, God is answering. God answers three ways. Yes, no, later. And maybe right now it's later. And for years it was later, 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 later for, for Zachariah and Elizabeth. And then the day came and God said, now is the appointed time. God has an appointed time. Unfortunately, it's not often my time. But it's a God time. God is faithful. He will answer your prayers. He will fulfill what he has spoken over your life. He will perform his word. He's faithful. Don't give up praying. God often spoke to his people while they were busy doing their everyday activities. Um, you can look at, at Moses and David. They were out tending sheep when God broke in and spoke to them. Look at Peter and John. They were mending nets when Jesus appeared to them and, and said, follow me. Uh, there's others in scripture. There's Gideon. He was threshing wheat when God showed up to him. Can I tell you this morning? God can speak to you during those everyday ordinary things that you're doing in life. God can do that whenever he wants. Man, there's a time to lean in. And when you're praying, you're having that quiet time or you're in a prayer meeting. There, there are those moments where you're talking to God and then you wait and you listen. But can I tell you, so many times God, he, he, he talks to me when, I'm, when he knows that I'm ready to hear something. 
And then he breaks the silence and he begins to speak. So while you're doing the dishes, changing the diapers, ironing your shirt, cutting the grass, raking the leaves, going to work, doing that everyday thing. God wants to talk to you. Driving to work. So my encouragement is while you're waiting for that big answer, keep doing your assignment in the midst of your barrenness. Just keep doing what you know is the right thing to do. Keep loving your wife. Keep cherishing your wife as you're in that season of barrenness. Right? Just keep doing the last thing that God told you to do. And at the right time, the appointed time, God will break in and he will speak. And the angel says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you're to call him John. Now, I love that name, John, because that's my middle name. John means God is gracious. God is gracious. If your name is John, God is gracious to you. My first name is Walter, which means mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, God is gracious. Man, I am. I got it made. I got the best name in the world. So the angel announces this. The son is his name's going to be John. And then he and then he begins to unpack all what that means. Um, It's kind of like watching a movie trailer. The the movie trailer just kind of gives you a glimpse of of what this movie's all about. Uh, I hear there's this big movie coming out, Star Wars something, you know, uh, The Last Jedi is coming out. And so I watched the trailer and it begins with the official trailer and it begins kind of like, when I found you, I saw raw, untamed power, you know, and beyond that. Something truly special. You know, and you watch that and you're like, okay, something truly special is going to happen. You know, this is going to be amazing. It just, there's this build up, there's this excitement, this anticipation. His name is John. God is gracious. And then he begins to roll out the rest of the movie trailer. Verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready. Somebody say make ready. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Movie trailer. Wow. This is incredible. First, it's really personal news. He will be a joy and a delight to you. How many of you know the good news, man? It's first really, really personal. The good news of Jesus, God's rule and reign in your life, in this world, it's very personal. His rule and reign over your sin, your disease, your brokenness. It's very personal, but it's so much bigger than that. It's bigger than you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. Let me tell you, when God does something good for you, share it with somebody else. Share the good news. Man, don't keep it for God. We've been praying that you would heal this and God does it. Man, spread the word. Let everybody hear. Amen. Verse 15, he will be great in the sight of God. 
Here we have in the culture of Herod the Great, you know, the angel showing up saying, man, you thought Herod was great. This son of yours, he's what is really great. You thought Herod was great. Wait till you see your son, John. Herod, yes, he'll make more money. He'll build more buildings. He'll rule over more people. But he won't give his life to humbly serving God like your son will. He will be the great one. Church, don't let greatness be defined by the standards of this world or, be, or, or like people like Herod. Listen, if you love God and you serve God and you accept his providence in your life, and you walk with him humbly and you walk with him faithfully. Then know this, that you are great in the sight of God. You are great in the sight of God. And the truth is, it's only in the sight of God that it really matters. And the Bible says something interesting. Uh, the angel says he is never to take wine or fermented drink. Meaning he will be a Nazarite or a separated one. The Nazarite vow was normally, uh, it was a temporary and voluntary thing. Somebody would take on the Nazarite vow. They would separate themselves from alcohol for a period of time, right? And then they would come back and they would, again, consume alcohol and other things. And so the Nazarite vow was often temporary and voluntarily, or voluntary, rather. But in this case, God says it's going to be for his whole life. He's going to be a Nazarite. His whole life, he's going to be a separated one. Much like Samson, much like Samuel. Now we have John. All three of them that were born out of barrenness. All three of them were, were given the Nazarite vow from birth. And all three of them were born to carry the message of the good news. So there's a pattern going on here. Luke is establishing there's a pattern. How many other uh, uh, Nazarites were there from birth? There was, there was Samson, who was brought to deliver Israel as a judge. There was Samuel, a prophet, spoke the word of God, deliver Israel again. And now here's John. Something big is about ready to happen. Um, do we have time to talk about alcohol for just a few moments? Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's just keep moving. <laughs> um, so we're right here. This guy, never to drink, take wine, never drink any uh, hard drink. Um, what does the Bible say about alcohol? Just real quick, according to the Bible, it's acceptable for Christians to drink under certain conditions. Um, as long as they, number one, don't get drunk. Number two, don't get others drunk uh, and um, don't break the law. Right. I mean, that's basically basically what we're talking about. And within those three things, there is um, there's freedom to either consume or not to consume alcohol legally and within moderation. OK, so the Bible says, hey, you have permission, you have the freedom to drink alcohol, right? As long as you don't get drunk, you don't cause somebody else to stumble and you do it within the law. But however, I will say this, that it also means that we can give up that freedom. We have the freedom to drink, but we can give up that freedom because of a calling from God, a personal conviction or a compassion for other people. So God was basically saying to Zechariah, I want you to raise your son and tell him to give away this freedom. Give away this freedom. Biblically, he has the freedom to drink. But for him, I'm asking him not to drink. Okay. No wine, no hard alcohol of any kind. Why? Why would God do that? 
Maybe the rest of the verse would say something. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Could it be that God wanted John to be under the control of only one kind of spirit? The Holy Spirit. How many of you know there's a lot of things that you can be under the control of? You can be control under the control of uh, your sexual appetites, your physical eating appetites. You can be under the control of drugs and alcohol. And I, I wonder if God was saying, you know what? I want this man to be separated and controlled by one spirit, the Holy Spirit. I want him to be filled with the spirit and not filled with anything else. Maybe that's why Ephesians chapter five, verse 18 would um, endorse that. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with. With the spirit, be under the control of the spirit. So you might be here to say here today and go, oh, wow, I didn't know this. This is such good news. I have the freedom to drink, you know, and I would say to that is this. You have the freedom to go to God and ask God what he would want you to do. Because you are no longer uh, you, you no longer belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. Scripture says, therefore, honor God with your body. So what would God have you to do with alcohol? God might have some of you give up that freedom for various reasons. It could be health reasons. It could be your kids. It could be your congregation or the people you're wanting to lead. Somebody once said that uh, whatever leaders do in moderation, followers will do in excess. You know, and just think about this, parents. Your kids are watching you. They're watching you. And even if you drink in moderation, keep in mind that they know you're drinking. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I think you should take this to God in prayer and ask. Okay. Um, It could be that out of testimony, you would choose to give up this freedom. Um, My wife, when she was in high school, she went to public high school. She had a lot of friends and uh, most all of her friends drank and they were under the age, under drinking age. And they shouldn't have been drinking, but they were drinking and they fully expected her to be drinking. And she said, no, I'm not drinking. And she would tell him why I'm not drinking. And she would say, well, first of all, it's illegal, (laughs) underage drinking. And also I have this conviction from God not to drink alcohol. And it was a huge testimony. Listen, not everybody's doing it. And it's okay if you give up that freedom and say, you know what? I'm going to separate myself from this. And it could be because there's alcohol abuse in your family. And you don't want to get pulled into that, right? So whatever reason, um, it's, it's, it's between you and the Lord. But for those of you who choose to give up that freedom to drink, don't judge those who still have that freedom. And those of you who have the freedom to drink alcohol, don't judge those who've given up the freedom. Are you with me? Let's not make it about alcohol. Let's make it about Jesus and what is God saying to us. Right? All right? How many of you drink to that? Say cheers. Okay. Or if you're not a drinker, say amen. <laughs> okay. So I've given up that freedom. You know that. I've chosen to give up that freedom uh, just because uh, in my role and what I do and the people that I influence, I do it out of compassion for those that I minister to because I believe that it would cause some to stumble if I exercise that freedom. And I also know the best of men are only men at best. And I know that I have the propensity to be an extremist in that area as well and abuse alcohol. So I will not go. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Can I tell you, we are a pro-life church. And you might be thinking, well, that sounds like a political statement. 
It's not. It's a biblical statement. And when the Bible speaks to a moral issue that becomes a political issue, we open our mouths and we speak. And I don't know how you get a stronger argument for human life in the womb than an angel showing up saying his name's going to be John. He's going to be filled with the spirit and he's set apart for ministry even in his mother's womb. There's a pro-life scripture right there. I mean, you know, we serve a pro-life God. Life is sacred from the womb. Life is sacred. God has a name in the womb, a calling in the womb, set apart in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Thank God for life in the womb. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, not a good question. He said, angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> can I tell you, Zechariah and Elizabeth were not the only old men and old women that were along in years that were barren. There was a long line of Old Testament characters who were old and who were barren. And Zechariah had Abraham and Sarah as as examples of how God can do a miracle. And so what's happening here is Zechariah is questioning, can God do this when God has, in fact, already done that? And here's what the angel says. He says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. In other words, listen, dude, there's only two angels mentioned by name, Gabriel and Michael, and I'm Gabriel. And I'm right here and I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Let me tell you, when God speaks to you, you've got to change your vocabulary from how to wow. Zachariah was all about, well, how's this going to happen? Not the first question, not the first response. How many of you are those how kind of people? You're like me, right? God says, man, I want to do something big. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be beyond your understanding. And I'm trying to understand and I'm going, well, God, how's that going to happen? You're lucky that I can stand up here and speak today because I'm the kind of guy God would probably go, you know what? You're not going to talk for the next nine months until you start believing, you know? Let's learn to be people of wow when God speaks, huh? When you read the word of God, you go, how? Just go, wow, God, thank you for taste buds. I don't know how they work, but thank you for taste buds. You know, God speaks to you, man. I'm going to use you in this way. Hey, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not a mighty warrior, God. Yeah. Go, wow, God, that's awesome. I believe you. Let's learn to say wow instead of how. So the angel says, you know, because you haven't learned that lesson, you're going to shut up now. My mom used to say, if you and your mom probably said this, too, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. The angel Gabriel learned that from my mom. It's true. Since you don't know how to say, wow, you don't need to say anything at all. For nine months. Can I tell you, there are consequences to unbelief. It took Israel 40 years, 40 years to get to the promised land. 40 years. It's an 11 day journey, but it took them 40 years. And it wasn't because of their Asherah poles and their idols and their bales. And no, it was because of their unbelief that they were not able to enter into God's promise. 
Jesus said he was very serious about this sin of unbelief. Jesus said this. He said, oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I put up with you? The one sin that Jesus that bothered Jesus more than anything else was sin. The Bible says, will the son of man when he returns, will he find faith in the earth? God's looking for men and women who will go, wow, God, that's awesome. I believe you. Some of you today need to repent of your unbelief. You need to repent and say, God, I am so sorry for not believing. I believe. How many believers here this morning? Some of you, God has incredible things he wants to do through you. And you're going, how, God, I'm a man of slow speech. You're the Moses making excuses. Listen, let's turn this thing around. God's looking for believers. It's impossible without faith. It's impossible to please God. Let's start believing some big things. Let's start believing impossible things. Let's start taking some risk around here. Let's take, take, start, start taking some risk in our lives. Man, when God says something and you say, yes, Lord, there's no risk in that. The bigger risk is saying no. All right, we're getting excited. Some of you are thinking, man, but pastor, you don't know what I, I did. I've just done a terrible thing and I don't know that God could heal that and or I don't know that God could forgive me for that sin. And but what does the word of God say? Confess your sins. and He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, even that one that you can't forgive yourself for. God is saying to you, sir, ma'am, I have forgiven you. Do you believe me? I love the word of God. And now let's wrap it up. Verse number 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I just wonder what that would have looked like. You know, he's kind of, kind of, you know, just... How do you commute? You know, the truth is he was he was not only not able to speak. He also was not able to hear. We'll find that out in a couple weeks. And he's trying to communicate to him this this good news. But I don't know. Maybe God didn't want him to blow it and screw it up. So made him you know, sign language or something. You know, where are we at? What verse? 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and he has taken away my disgrace among the people. He has taken away my disgrace. And that is exactly what God wants to do for some of you this morning. He wants to remove the reproach, the shame, the disgrace. Something um, maybe something maybe you did or maybe something that was done to you that was totally out of your control um, that has brought shame on your life, disgrace and reproach. And you feel like you're always under this this cloud of shame. You look at yourself through lenses of shame. You feel like everybody is shaming you. Shame is shame, 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 shame on you. Right. That was Elizabeth. Shame on you, Elizabeth. You've done something to to um, 
to get out from under God's favor. And God breaks in and he goes, no, you have my favor. You have my, my grace. And God gave that to her that day. And I'm going to have you in a moment. I'm going to have you stand. If you're here this morning, I want you to know I'm declaring to you. I am not Gabriel. I am Walt. I am mighty warrior to whom God is gracious. And I'm here to announce to you this morning, the silent years are over. The shameful years are over. The kingdom of God is here. His rule and his reign is in this place. And it's here to remove that shame over your life. He's here to remove that barrenness over your life. And if you feel like your life is under this cloud of of shame and this cloud of reproach, right, of disgrace, if you feel like that's you and you're living it, and again, maybe it's happened to you or something you've done, I I want you to stand your feet because I believe God's just going to cause that cloud of shame to lift over your life. Stand to your feet. We're going to pray for you. Or maybe you're here today and you're like Zachariah. And there's this, you love God, and in so many ways you're righteous and you're blameless before God, but there's this one thing, and it's the sin of unbelief. And you realize that if, if you don't repent of this unbelief, there's going, to be, there's going to be consequences to that. I don't know what they are. I know that you won't receive promises of God like He would have for you. If that's you, and you struggle with the sin of unbelief, and you want to confess that sin, stand to your feet, and we're going to pray this morning. God, thank you. God, today we, we, we put the incense on the, on the burning coals, God. We lift our prayers to you just as that, that incense begins to rise to you. And we say this, Lord, first of all, God, forgive us, God, of our unbelief. God, we want to be a people of faith. We want to be a believing people. We want to be people that when we hear your word, read your word, we go, wow, God, I believe. Nothing is impossible for you. God, I pray that we would have that kind of response to your word. Lord, I pray for those who are are living under that cloud of shame and disgrace for whatever reason. And I thank you, God, that Jesus was disgraced on the cross so we could be graced today. That he endured the scorn and the shame. God, today, so that that scorn and shame could be lifted off of us. I just rebuke the lies that have been spoken over people, women in particular, for many years as Elizabeth. I rebuke those lies in Jesus' name. And I say to you, men and women, you are a graced people. You are a favored people. And God is going to make you uh, fruitful. He's going to cause you to multiply in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling with infertility, physical infertility today. God, we pray for a healing in that man's body or that woman's body today in Jesus' name. We ask for that today, God. We ask that you would bless the womb and that you would fill the womb with life and fill the womb with your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody stand if you would. Prayer workers, if you would come, we're going to sing this chorus together. I'm going to encourage you, if you need prayer today, in addition to what we've just prayed, please come and allow us to pray with you. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Some of you came to the house today to get saved. 
If that's you, you know who I'm talking about. You came to get right with God today. I'm going to encourage you to come and pray with one of our prayer workers as well. Amen. Let's call the let's call what's true in heaven. Let's call it down to earth today. Amen. God, may your will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done today in this house. In Jesus' name.